continuing the Cyber City, the world's first virtual all online apologetics conference. We're going to be bringing up Veda all the way from L.A. And so come on in, grab this link, share it, hit that thumbs up button. We're going to be getting into this question, the problem of slavery in the Bible. Here as we continue Cyber City Virtual Apologetics Conference. All right, so uh, uh, settle, settle in. in. Let's, Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time to do this. Cyber City Virtual Apologetics Conference continues on, and I'm bringing up my man Veda. Yo, what's, what's up, up y'all? What's, what's up? What's up? Thanks you, for having me on, Vocat. Yeah, man, you got the air horn. I don't know if you if you heard it. <laughs> I didn't, but I appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. DJ Vocab in the house. <laughs> I'm trying. All right, man. I'm uh, I'm gonna bring up. Uh, your uh, slides right now and I'm going to get out of here and give you your time uh, guys Veda is always a dynamic speaker uh, you can read his bio in the channel uh, right there on the link of the video it's right there in the description right there in the box and so with that without any further ado I present to you Veda Hedgeman from LA and Vocab Malone is out Cyber City rock on man all right you all right, what's up, everybody? What's up? First of all, I want to thank y'all for having me. Thank y'all for tuning in as we are discussing Does the Bible endorse slavery? The problem with slavery in the Bible. Now, before we even get in, before we even get into all of the details and the scripture and be responsible exegetes of scripture, I want to encourage everybody to go to my channel. All right, right now, is he a real one? If you just type that in on YouTube, it's one word, is he a real one? It'll come up and also understand that, you know, the Lord has blessed my channel, not just to be on YouTube, but every episode is also on Spotify. It's on TuneIn. It is on iTunes. And most recently, it has been added to iHeartRadio, which has over 130 million subscribers. And the Lord has blessed the Christian Apologetics Show in mine to be on iHeartRadio. So if any of y'all listen to iHeartRadio, you can also listen to every episode that I've had on there. You know, I've had people like Paul Copan, Vocab Malone. 
uh, who else? Uh, the BD Anyabwele, Vince Bantu, Sean McDowell, and, and many more. Most recently, you know, we've had Dr. Peter Gurry, uh, who author, who co-authored and co-edited Myths and Mistakes of uh, New Testament Textual Criticism. That's a great book for any apologist if you want to know about the historical reliability of the New Testament and how we can be responsible teachers of that. So I encourage you to check out that interview. And on Monday or Tuesday, I actually forget the date. But if you go to my page, you'll see that that we have an interview that will premiere with Jim Warner Wallace. I know that there are some presuppositional uh, Christians who are listening to this presentation right now, but I still encourage you to listen to uh, this classical apologetics presentation because whether we're reformed or not, we all want to be informed. Amen. And Jim Warner Wallace does a great presentation on the historical reliability of the resurrection, and we discussed that just in time for Easter. So if you go to my channel and subscribe, you will see that. All right. And before I get started, I would like to pray and let's get into this presentation on the problem of slavery. Heavenly Father. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we come to you right now, Lord God, just saying thank you for this opportunity to even discuss your word, Lord. You left us 66 love letters, and it is a privilege and an honor, but you but you chose to do so, and we just thank you, Lord God. Lord God, I pray that the details and the information and the, and the exegesis that will go forth over the next 30 minutes to an hour, I pray that it is a blessing to somebody. I pray that someone learns from it. I pray that someone is encouraged by it. And most importantly, Lord God, I pray that you are magnified, that you are glorified, and that someone ultimately gets closer to you, Lord. It's in the glorious name of Jesus that we say this prayer. Amen. All right. All right, y'all. So does the Bible endorse slavery? Is there a problem with slavery in the Bible? What is going on with that? All right. So before we get too deep into it, I want to discuss Tension of this presentation is not, okay? I want to be really clear, okay? So we're going to talk about what slavery in the Bible is ultimately describing, what are the issues at hand, et cetera, et cetera. But we are not trying to make you go, okay, well, that sounds cool. I would love to be a slave. You know, it sounds like what's going on in the biblical times with slavery was something really cool and I want to go do that. That is not the intention. That is not the point. That is not the purpose. The purpose is to align and point out the differences between the servitude, and you'll learn more about that word in just a few minutes, the servitude that's in the Bible versus the slavery that we think of when we think about America's racist history, uh, particularly in the antebellum South. Okay, so it's the comparison because usually when people go, okay, well, how can you endorse Christianity? How can you uh, endorse that Bible when that same Bible endorses slavery? And that's where your ancestors, you know, was being beaten because of that Bible. So we're going to look through scripture to see if scripture is actually saying that, you know, I'm a black dude, so I'll say my ancestors, you know, if my ancestors should have been beaten per the Bible. All right. So the intention is not to make us feel like we want to be slaves in biblical times. And it's also important to point out that 
the Old Testament is not giving us instructions on how to treat our slaves. So we're about to go over scriptures that's describing how people in the Old Testament, some had slaves, some would have slaves, et cetera, et cetera. But we're not to listen to this presentation and then go, oh, well, I listened to Veda's presentation on Vocab's channel. It made so much sense. And now I'm going to go get me some slaves and treat them this way. OK, it's as as biblicists, as biblical readers, it's important for us to know the difference between something that's prescriptive and descriptive. So we're going to go through the scriptures and this is not telling us to go get our own slaves and treat them good or bad or indifferent. All right. And last but not least, as biblical readers, it's important for us to understand that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. Why do I point this out? Because there is a context. I know you hear that word all the time. Context, context, context. But that is that is extremely important when we are reading the Bible. And if you are following Vocab Malone, you probably know that already because he is a very contextual biblical teacher. All right. Now, uh, vocab, if you can go to slide number five, we are about to go over real quick the evil characteristics of slavery, the evil characteristics of slavery. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm simply talking about when we, when you hear the word slavery, what is it that comes to your mind? What is it that comes to your mind? Excuse me. Usually we think about, like I said, the slavery that happened in the antebellum South that happened mostly to black people in America in our ugly racist history, whereas a slave is property. This, these are the evil characteristics of slavery. And if it's not coming up vocab, you know, you may have to go to the next one because because it because I did it in a way where it kind of like shows up one by one. So it, it looks like each one isn't showing up there. I got him. I got him. Yeah. I brought him up. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the evil characteristics of slavery is that a a slave is property. Slave owners have complete rights over the slave in question and they can do whatever it is that they want. For instance, I have headphones on right now. You might look at those headphones and go, those are really nice headphones. They're wireless. I wouldn't mind having those headphones. However, I can break them if I want to. I can throw them across the room if I want to, or I can take nice care of them if I want to. Okay. I can give it away. I can do whatever I want. I can give it to somebody for their birthday tomorrow. You know, maybe they won't take it because it's used and it's this whole coronavirus thing going on. But the point is, I could if I wanted to. This is my property. And in America's history, when we think of slavery, that's usually what people are thinking about, where a slave is nothing more than property, where the owner of said slave can do whatever they want, including raping, beating or whatever it is they would like to do. Also, another evil characteristic of slavery is that the slave is restricted from receiving an education. Although it didn't have to be written in law, in some states it actually was written in law that the slave could not receive an education or a certain level of education, right? Also, a, the slave is restricted from his or her identity, racial, familial, social, or marital identity. They're restricted from all of that. They're restricted from all of that. <clears throat> and also, we can't forget that slavery is not optional at all, it is forced. And the slave and slavery is permanent or until the slave master decides to let you go if that were to happen or if the slave master were to just kill you. 
right? You know, so slave, these are the evil characteristics of slavery that we think about. So the next thing that we would actually discuss is, are these the characteristics in biblical slavery? And you'll hear me say the word servitude more than slavery, and I'll explain why in just a few more moments. But are these characteristics the same characteristics that are in biblical slavery or servitude. If we go to slide number seven, we see that in the Bible, man is made in the image of God. And I'm going to and I'm going to go through some scriptures that point out each of these four things. So for one, man is made in the image of God, not some men, not some men, not some women, man, human beings, me and you. If you're looking at me on the screen, I don't know if y'all can see me, but I'm doing a little eye to eye thing. Okay. We are made in the image of God. Secondly, slavery in the Bible is voluntary servitude, which is why you will hear me say servitude more than slavery probably going forward. All right. It is voluntary servitude. Thirdly, servitude was typically not permanent. Although the servant could request otherwise, typically it was not permanent. There are some instances where it w- where it was permanent. I do my best to cover all of that in the time that we have together. But if I'm not able to remember that, A, you got your Bible and B, the main point isn't to give a complete lesson on the biblical slavery, but it's to mainly point out how radically different servitude or slavery in the Bible is from slavery in America's history. So again, servitude was typically not permanent, although the servant could request otherwise. And also the servant masters or employers, they had restrictions to follow. They couldn't just do whatever they wanted. You know, I used the analogy with my headphones, how I can pick them up, I can break them, I can do whatever I want. And that's what slave masters and 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 yeah, slave masters were doing in America's history, but that was not what the slave masters or employers, they did not have that freedom to do whatever they wanted to do to their servants. Okay, moving on to slide number eight. Let's go over scripture that talks about a man being made in God's image. I won't spend too much time on this because I think that most people already understand this, but still let's just go over Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, this is important because A, is saying that man is made in God's image. And by man, we mean mankind here. But what's interesting is this doesn't say, you know, uh, some men are made in God's image, but, you know, others aren't. So some are to be treated morally. Some are to be treated humanely. Some are to be treated like they're made in the image of God, but some are not made in the image of God. So therefore you can do whatever you want. That's not what the Bible says. It says male and female. He created them. He created humanity. Amen. Amen. I'm going to imagine that I can hear y'all and I'm going to say y'all said amen back there. All right. So moving on, talking about if slavery was if slavery was permanent, servanthood was actually voluntary. If we move on to slide number nine, we see that servanthood was voluntary and it was means to help the poor. This is important. This is real important right here, y'all. So A, servanthood was voluntary. It was means to help the poor. 
And moving on to slide number 10, we see that a person doesn't have any land. <clears throat> if a person doesn't have any land, he could sell himself into, into slavery, into servitude. Okay. So remember, as we read this verse that, that, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm clicking the wrong button. I got confused. Remember that servanthood is voluntary and it's means to help the poor. And if a person doesn't have any land, he can sell himself into slavery. Leviticus 25, 39 and 40 reads, if your brother. Now, mind you, before I even read, read this, I want to point out that most of the scriptures that I'll be discussing is a Hebrew who is having another Hebrew as as a servant. We will, however, talk about if a foreigner becomes a servant as well, a servant or a slave. Okay. There is some differences, but at the end of the day, they're all treated in the image of God. And it is nothing like the, the racist and ugly, uh, brutal history that we have seen in America. All right. So I wanted to make that clear as we read this verse here. A person who doesn't have any land can sell himself. Leviticus 25, 39 and 40 reads, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you. You see, I underline that because if he sells himself to you, that means that he wasn't kidnapped. He didn't have to get in a chokehold like Ving Rhames and Baby Boy. Everybody is saved on this channel. So I'm sure y'all never seen that movie and y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. But they wasn't, you know, had, they didn't have like a chokehold and everything being forced into it. It says, if your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Now, this, you, you see that uh, you shall not make him serve as a slave. In, in the original Hebrew language, they didn't have as many options that we have when we're talking about slaves. You and I today in English, we can say slave, we can say servant, we can say bond servant, we can say a bunch of stuff. They didn't have all of the different, you know, verbiage that that we have in the in the original Hebrew language. So that's that there. But this verse, these two verses are talking about if a Hebrew becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you. It's, voluntarily decides to be under your stewardship as a servant, he shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. When we move over to, to slide number 11, we see that a person who doesn't have any land can serve himself still. And this is another verse about <clears throat> a brother uh, selling himself to a stranger or a foreigner. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a or to a member of a stranger's clan. This is really interesting because if a person is wanting to compare biblical slavery to to the antebellum southern slavery that happened in America, this would basically be saying that if a slave worked himself up, got rich, and was able to have uh, slaves himself, he would have one as a slave as well. We all know that 
you know, black people and slaves, we, we didn't have that option. It was nothing like that. But it's stuff that's so much more clear than even these verses right here. But again, we're pointing out the differences and the specifics about the slavery or better words, servitude in the Old Testament. Moving on to slide number 12. Here's something that's really key, y'all. Remember, we talked about how servant servanthood, servitude or slavery in the Old Testament was a means to help the poor. Right. We already talked about that. You can sell yourself into slavery. If you poor, you ain't got nowhere to stay. You ain't got no land. All of this. You can sell yourself into slavery so that you can be better taken care of. Let's read Deuteronomy 15, one through four, because the ultimate goal is that there is no poverty. What's interesting about that is if there is no poverty, there is no servanthood. There is no slavery. So therefore, <laughs> you can see in God's word that although the servanthood and the slavery already is radically different than what has occurred in America's history, it's already radically different. They have rules and regulations that they have to follow. But even with that said, the ultimate goal was that there was no poverty and that there was no servanthood in the first place. We know that that is not what happened in America's history. Let's actually read the verses. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. We already talked about that. Uh, we already talked about that. You shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what has been lent. And let's skip down to verse three of a foreigner. You may exact it, but whatever your but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. My goodness, this these scriptures that we just went over talking about creditors, okay? It's talking about finance. And when the Bible says in verse four, but there will be no poor among you, that's saying that the goal is that nobody is poor. If nobody is poor, no one will even have to sell themselves into servant, into servitude in the first place. Boom. Like we could just, I, boom. Let's, let's stop the presentation right there, really, if we wanted to. But wait, there's more. Let's go to slide number 13. Slide number 13, Deuteronomy 15, 12 to 14. This is the same chapter. This is this is really interesting, y'all. And don't mind me. I get really excited when I think about God's word. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. Again, we talked about the length, right? We talked about how it is not permanent. They serve a term. Excuse me. <coughs> I need to get some water. I promise y'all. I ain't going to promise y'all, but look, I promise y'all I'm healthy. I know it's the Corona stuff going on. Don't trip when I'm coughing and I don't see y'all comments right now. So I'm just, you know, I'm presuming y'all laughing at me when I make these comments. Anyway, back to the scripture. If your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman is sold to you, he shall serve you six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. Right. Boom. It is not permanent. He worked off his debt. Let him go free. Verse 13 says, and when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty handed. Why is that important? Because this is saying that you had a servant, you had a slave, right? And he or she has served their time. It is time for them to go free. That's already demonstrating that it is radically different. 
from what happened in America's history. But this is also saying that you ain't supposed to just let them go free. You're supposed to break them off a little something, something. All right. You know what I'm saying? They about to go out into this world. The reason they was even in servant servitude in the first place was because they ain't have it like that. They ain't got no money. Or if they do got money, it's a little bit. Man, they trying to get right. They sold themselves to you so that they can have a better lifestyle. Now that they have served their 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 tenure with you and they're going free. Don't let them go empty handed, you know, give them a couple dollars, give them something that is going to help them in their steps that they're going to make once they leave your stewardship. Wow. Isn't that amazing in the context of which when we are thinking about biblical slavery versus slavery that we might naturally think about that looks more like America's slavery. Isn't that something else? Slide number 14 says or demonstrates that there is dignity in debt servants. Remember we talked earlier about how how there is how man is made in the image of God. And in the book of Job, we see him talking about some of his servants and he is feeling convicted about how he should be intentional about about his about his servants. Let's read what the word of God says. If I have denied justice to any of my servants, whether male or female, when they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not he who made in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us within our mothers? Wow. Look at this. This is this is the word of God saying, hey, look, I got if I have denied justice, if I have denied fairness, if I have denied dignity to any of my servants, whether male or female. When they had a grievance against me, what will I do when God confronts me about it? Because God is going to confront me about how I am treating people who are under my stewardship as servants. And if I treat them like they are not made in the image of God, God will certainly confront me about it. And what will I say to the Lord when he confronts me about such behavior? Because I know that the same Lord who made me made them. Wow. Look at this, y'all. Look at this. If anybody look and I don't expect you if you haven't studied this a whole lot to repeat these scriptures and and to say it as quickly and as eloquently as I'm currently saying it. But if anyone ever tries to say, hey, you know, you're you're endorsing that Christianity and that Bible endorses slavery and all of that stuff. Look, let's just bring up some of these scriptures. Bring up Job 31, 13 through 15. Let's say, OK, let's talk about the scriptures you talking about that's problematic. And by the way, we will get to those problematic scriptures in a second. But let's also say, OK, well, let's read Job 31, 13 through 15 and let's talk about it. Why are you because you can't pick and choose when when to take certain scriptures. All right. The Bible does not endorse slavery as we think about, particularly America's <clears throat> excuse me, America's history. Okay, slide number 16. Let's talk about runaway slaves in scripture. Okay, this is interesting because, well, all of it's interesting. You can hear me keep saying that. But this is interesting because there are runaway slaves in scripture and servant owners, employers, they are given specific instructions on how to treat a slave who has run away. Now, let's see as we read this, if this sounds anything like 
what we know happened in America. Deuteronomy 23, 15 and 16 says, you shall not give up to his master, a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, whether it suits him, you shall not wrong him. Now, let's look at the two things that I underlined in these verses. You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. Meaning if a slave was like, uh, uh, I ain't liking this. I sold myself into this situation and I wish that I didn't. I'm going to run away far, far, far away like Django did. 3,000 something years later, I'm man, I'm about to, no, that's a bad example, not Django, but stay with me, y'all, stay with me, okay? You sh you run away from your, from your uh, slave bastard, listen, you shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you, meaning the person that the slave escaped to can't call the slave owner who they just escaped from saying, hey, I got your slave. All right. I'm going to bring them back to you. That's they're instructed not to do so. Let's go to the end of verse 16. It says you shall not wrong him. So that's so that means that if a slave were to run to you, you are to wrong this person who just escaped from the situation that we're just in again. This is radically different from what we know that happened in America's history. OK, Let's go to slide number 17 and let's talk a little bit about foreign servants specifically. OK, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier because one of the verses said that, you know, a foreigner can get rich and and can have servants himself. But let's take a look at a couple more scriptures. Foreign servants are loved by God as well. Okay, so that's the same scripture that we read earlier, I think. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor, sub himself to the stranger and, so <clears throat> and sojourner with you or to a member of, of the stranger's clan. But this indicates, I meant to put always, uh, this indicates that foreign servants weren't always permanent servants. That's what I meant to put, uh, you know, so there is some disagreement and there is some different exegesis when you when you, we are talking about foreign servants being permanent servants. But when we read scriptures like Leviticus 25, 47, I, I think that this seems to indicate that that's not always the case right now. Let's go further to this last point. Acquired servants could potentially better themselves to the point that they have servants themselves. Let's move on to slide number 18. OK, we won't go through all of these scriptures because I'm already coming up on time soon. And I want to make sure I get to the New Testament and some of the problematic scriptures. But if you're taking notes, I encourage you to take down some of these scriptures right here because foreign servants are loved by God as well. In Leviticus 23, verse 22, we see that they are to care for the poor and for the alien. You are to care for them, okay? Treat them humanely. <clears throat> humanely. You are to love the alien. That's Deuteronomy 10, verse 19. OK, providing basic need of food, Deuteronomy 24, 18 through 22, and also promptly paying for the aliens labor and not oppressing them. Look at that. Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 and 15. Man, I was never a slave like in the Old Testament or in America's history, but I have <clears throat> I've had situations where I wasn't paid promptly and I did not like it. Guess what God's word says to do to the foreign servant? It says that you are to pay him 
promptly and don't oppress them. Y'all check that out. Look at God's word, looking out for servants who are made in the image of God. So I'm going to keep bringing this up. Does the Bible endorse slavery? That is what we will immediately think of in America's racist history. No, it does not. Okay, let's go to slide number 19 at this point. Injuring your servants and kidnapping. We already talked about runaway slaves. Now let's talk about injuring your servants and kidnapping. Exodus 21 and 20 says, when a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. The word that was used that translated to avenged in this particular translation that I use always means death in the Old Testament. So this means that when a man strikes his slave, whether male or female, and the slave dies under his hand, the slave owner shall be put to death. Now, now, I know I said we could drop the mic in the presentation a few minutes ago after one of the scriptures. Now, this one right here, does the Bible endorse slavery that we, which, uh, excuse me, does the Bible endorse slavery, which is the type of slavery that we more than likely thinking of, think about when we think of the word slavery in America's history? No, it does not, because it would have been it would have been a bunch of dead slave masters if they were following these rules. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> now, also, let's go to slide number 20, injuring your servants and kidnapping. Still, let, let, let's let's go to Exodus. We're still in Exodus 21. Let me go to verse 16. It says, whoever steals a man and sells him, kidnapping and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death wow look at that so that means if you kidnap a servant and you sell him anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death the whole slave trade in america's history would be abolished in 30 seconds if these are the rules that they were following let's go to deuteronomy 24 verse 7 if a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel and if he treats him as a slave or sells him then that thief shall die so you shall purge the evil from your midst so listen listen y'all if you ain't as familiar with this as it sounds like I am and someone is throwing a scripture at you that is hard for you to explain let's say let's talk through it and as we talk through it let's also talk about exodus 21 20 exodus 21 16 deuteronomy 24 and 7 because it sounds here like god is clearly saying that if a servant is kidnapped and someone is found in possession of him the person who did that shall die all right now let's get to some of the challenging texts in slavery all right let's get to some of the challenging texts let's go to slide number 22 Let's get to some of the challenging texts that might appear to be hard to explain. Slide number 22. We are still in Exodus 21 and we're going to read verses 20 and 21. OK, so we already read verse 20 where it says that when a man strikes his slave, male or female with the rod, the slave dies under his hand. He shall be put to death. He shall be avenged. But verse 21 says, but if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be put to death. He is not to be avenged for the slave is his money. Now, if you just read this in an isolated fashion and go, well, this looks like, OK, so. The slave owner can't kill the slave. However, if he hurts them really bad or if the slave survives a day or two, then, you know, he shall be avenged. 
or oh no, I'm sorry. He shall not he shall not be avenged. He shall not be put to death if he lingers over for a day or two. Now let, let's unpack this a little bit. If the slave did not die immediately, then the employer or slave owner is given the benefit of the doubt that there was not murderous intent. Okay, there was not murderous intent. And also where it says for the slave is his money. When we read the entire book of Exodus and the 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 Old Testament in general, when we see words like this for the slave is his money, it's like saying for. You know, LeBron James is the Lakers championship for, you know, you know, for something like that, because this because the slave, the servant is his money in that sense, you know. Uh, so but let, let's go on. I, I want to talk about how if the slave did not die, <clears throat> then the employer is given murder. I'm sorry. Then the employer is given the benefit of the doubt that there was not murderous intent. And in full context, we see that the slaves are still being protected here, even though even though the slave owner isn't being put to death if it takes a day or two. How, Sway? How? How? What do you mean? You mean it? I just read this and it says that if I die immediately, they're put to death. But if I don't die after a day or two, <clears throat> then he shall not be put to death. How, Sway? How is the servant or the slave still being protected? Well, let's go to slide number 25 and... And let's take a look at my third point, which is simply saying that if we keep reading the same, the same book, the same, same book of Exodus, we see that the servant is to be released debt free upon receiving brutal injuries. Now, mind you, we just talked about how the reason why, and I'm probably gonna have to pass through this because I want to make sure I get to the New Testament before I have to wrap up, but let's, let's keep in mind, we just talked about how if a servant is being or if he's killed, it, yeah, if he's basically killed immediately, he's, he's to be put to death. The serv the slave owner, he's to be put to death. If he were to survive a day or so, he's given the benefit of the doubt that there was not murderous intent. But let's go to Exodus 21, 26 and 27. And we see that the that the servant or the slave is actually going to be set free if he or she receives a brutal injury. All right. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Now, let's take a look or let's just walk down memory lane. Any movie, any TV show, any pictures, any meme that you've seen about the servitude, not servitude, the slavery that happened in America's history. Okay, so. First of all, the slave owners would have been put to death because they killed a bunch of us. And those of us who were not who were not killed, you know, we still would have been set free because I'm sure a bunch of us had eyes that were messed up, that were jacked up. And we had teeth that were knocked out. All right. So we would have been set free. We probably would have been set free before we while we were still on the boat. If if the argument is that slavery in the Bible is the same as what happened in America, the truth of the matter is it clearly is not. OK, let's do. 
I got to get to the New Testament. So I'm, I'm going to skip this verse. I'm going to skip this verse. Let's go to slide number 28 and summarize this a little bit. Slave serving for six years. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, y'all. I am going to read 27. This is important. When you buy a Hebrew slave, I'm sorry. So I'm, I'm sorry, vocab. I'm going to slide number 27 right now. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years. We talked about that. In the seventh year, he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. Verse number four sounds really challenging. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out alone. Wow. Verse five says, if the, but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. We already talked a little bit earlier about how if a servant is released he did his time and he's free now he can choose he can elect to still want to be you know uh, under the stewardship of his slave owner but this right here it looks like it's saying well okay so i'm veda now i'm a servant but since i got married why while i was a servant and now i'm free my wife ain't free and my kids ain't free that's jacked up man like what, what, what you talking about see Let's keep a couple things in mind. And now let's go to slide number 28. Slave serving for six years is still intact. So they still are not serving forever in this context. So whatever the forever context is for said servant still applies to the to the family in this case. Also, a slave can also be bought out of his contract before it is up. And that is referenced in in Leviticus 25 verses 50 through 52. So a slave can be bought out of their contract before it is up. OK. Also, this may not be ideal for you and I. We might look at this in our 2020 lenses and go, I ain't feeling those rules. I don't want to live under this. We already got America telling us to stay in the house and I'm having a problem with that. So I show ain't trying to do these things that Veda is reading from scripture. However, however, you know, if we look at it from a context of 4000 BC or whenever this was, you know, it was different. And also, the main thing is that this is a far cry from what America from America's slave trade. OK, it, you know, we uh, slaves couldn't be bought out of their contract. What contract? First of all, and we ain't going to be bought out of our contract so that we can leave early. OK. And last but not least, before I move on to the before I move on to the New Testament, I would like to point out and you can go to slide twenty nine. I would like to point out that God wanted the people of Israel to remember how they were treated in Egypt. He told them over 30 times in the Old Testament, like just going through different things. And he just kept telling them, remember, you were once slaves in it in Egypt. Remember, you were once slaves in Egypt. He'll tell them something about something else. And then right after he tell them that, he'll be like, hey, remember, you were once slaves in Egypt, which means do not forget that you were once under the stewardship of somebody and they mistreated you. There's actually an argument that even when the Israelites, they were certainly slaves, were even was there was that was there slavery like America's slavery? Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. We won't get into that. But let's talk about how God is telling his people like, hey, look, check this out. Y'all not slaves no more. And y'all have people who are servants under you. So remember how you were treated 
and do not treat them the way you were treated. Don't do that. Come on, man. Come on. So, again, does the Bible endorse slavery? The problem of of slavery in the Bible as it relates to America's slavery, it's man, it's 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 apples and pears. You know what I'm saying? It's apples and lemons, baby. So let's go to New Testament slavery and let's go to slide number 34. Okay, let's go to slide number 34 and let's talk a little bit about New Testament slavery. And before we get to Nefernity, I think she's up next after me and I know she's going to kill it in her presentation. I know she's going to kill it. So y'all get ready for her. But let's talk a little bit about New Testament slavery before we wrap up here. Okay. The slavery in the New Testament is not the same as Old Testament slavery. Mind you, the New Testament writer is usually making a comment to someone who is currently in servitude or someone who has servants. All right. And also just keep in mind that when we read the New Testament, New Testament writers are often giving responses or on general Christian behavior. They're not giving laws in the way that Moses did when when he was authoring Exodus and stuff like that. You know, so if Paul or Peter or whoever would write a letter, they weren't writing with the same type of authority that Moses was writing given the people who they were writing to, right? So New Testament writers, they're usually giving responses in general, you know, uh, outside of the four gospels on general Christian behavior. This is how you treat your neighbor. You know, this is how you do this. This is how you do that, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Slide number 35, we point out that Jesus did not lead an economic reform plan for Israel, but he reformed so much more than that. He reformed greed, envy, being inconsiderate to your neighbor and so much more. I love how he cites Isaiah 61 verse 1 in Luke chapter 4 verse 13 when he said that his mission was to proclaim the release to captives and to set free those who are oppressed. All right. Also, excuse me, also the New Testament text it reaffirms that man is made in the image of God, so we can't forget that. And also, I'm in slide number 36 about to be the you can just go to slide number 37. Also, what are ways when we're reading New Testament texts, it's some things that we that we ought to think about, right? What are ways the people who receive these letters could a behave more like Christ and b honor Jesus and what He did in their behavior, and also c create disciples of Jesus Christ. The peop- the recipients and readers and hearers of these letters are to consider those three things, right? Behave more like Christ, honor Jesus and what he did, and to create more disciples of Jesus Christ. So in the, when we read the Colossians 4, 1, we see masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. See that there? So if someone ever throws a scripture at you that sounds a little troubling, let's, let's not only talk about that troubling scripture, but But let's also talk about Colossians 4, 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Colossians 3, 11 says that here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Why is that important? And he also said something, Paul, he he authored Colossians, he also authored Galatians. Let's go to slide 39. 
where he said something similar in Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, oftentimes people will hear. And before I wrap up, uh, I, I got a few more minutes before I wrap up. We'll talk about a couple of the trouble, uh, troubling New Testament scriptures about slavery. But oftentimes, you know, the critique on Paul is that he didn't outright just go, hey, slavery is wrong. You need to let slaves free and all that. Again, we already talked about how Jesus didn't have an economic reform from Israel, but he reformed so much more than that. And we also talked about what the general purpose is a lot of time, a lot of times in New Testament scripture. But when we read scriptures like Colossians 3.11 and Galatians 3.28, and when Paul is saying there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Yes, Paul had a whole lot of authority in the body of Christ and as a church planter and things like that. But economically, you know, he wasn't he wasn't the man like that. That's why so many early Christian believers, particularly the disciples, were mar were martyred. You know, they weren't like the president and kings and all this stuff like that. So for so for Paul to say that, that's actually an incredibly bold comment to make. That is incredibly bold. It is incredibly courageous, and it is incre it is incredibly insightful to how powerful and fearless he was. Although he often gets criticized by those of us who don't responsibly read scripture in its full context to see exactly what's going on here. So I got time for one challenging New Testament text. Let's read Ephesians 6, Ephesians chapter 6, 5 and 6. That's slide number 41. And this right here says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. It's like, man, so it's like, OK, Vader, you mean to tell me, OK, so I read that other scripture, you know, masters treat your, you know, slaves with. Uh, humane or, you know, or whatever it said and all that. But this right here is selling bond servants. It's telling slaves to obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Like what is like, what is the deal? Look, check this out. Let's repeat in the few minutes that we have together. Let's repeat that. This is really similar to. All right. Let, let me use this example. I got two daughters, right? I got a 12 year old and I got a daughter that's about to be two. So let's say my daughter my 12 year old pushes my daughter down. She's being wrong and I break them up and I'm talking to my to my two year old. And I'm like, hey, look, check this out, baby girl. Be nice to your sister. Treat her nice. Treat her nice. Treat her, you know, well and do all of these things that are Christ like to your sister, because that is what a follower of Christ would do. Remember, Paul is writing to followers of Christ and telling them how to be more like Christ, how to ultimately make more disciples of Christ. This is what y'all are supposed to do as followers of Christ. It's like if Paul could talk to you after somebody flick you off when you when you're driving on the freeway and you want to cuss them out. What is Paul going to tell you to do? He's going to tell you to do something that your flesh does not want to do. OK, right now. What's interesting about this is if you keep reading just a couple verses after, after he tells the bond servants or the slaves something that they don't want to hear. And me and you probably don't even want to hear. Take a look at what he says to the to the slave owners and just a couple verses lower. And that's in slide number 42. Masters do the same to them. 
and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So he's like, look, everything that I just said to the slaves, I'm saying to you, too. I'm telling both of y'all to behave like Christ in this situation that you probably don't want to behave like Christ in. Okay, and as followers of Christ, I'm sure we have all probably have been dead right. And we want to, you know, spaz out on somebody or maybe it's just me, you know, insert halo over top of my head. Maybe it's just me, you know, but but God's word is telling us how to how how to interact in general. I want to make sure I get to this and then I will close. I sorry y'all don't got no time for questions. I'm sorry. You know, maybe vocab, you know, maybe we can do a Q&A about this subject alone if you want to at a later time. I don't know. But but I want to go over this verse and then I'll be out of y'all hair. I am going to 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 and 11. And I think this is so powerful to go over. Let's go to slide number 45. Okay. First Timothy chapter one, verses eight through 11. Now, mind you, when what we're about to read, Paul, as he's writing this letter, he alludes to five of the 10 commandments in these verses. And then after that, he rebukes slavery. Okay, now keep in mind the context of New Testament scripture, the context of who Paul is and who he wrote these letters to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's read this. Oh, man, I get so excited when I read this. All right. Check this out. Verse eight says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane. Now, keep in context, y'all. Paul is about to go through a bunch of stuff that is not Christ-like. It is not holy. It does not please the Lord. Okay? Understand that. So he's like the unholy, the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers. So every time you see a comma, it's saying something else that is not good, something else that the Lord is not pleased with. For those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers. Let's go to slide number 46 as he continues to name things that the Lord is not pleased with. Slide number 46, verse 10 says the sexually immoral. God ain't happy with it. Men who practice homosexuality. God ain't happy with it. Enslavers, liars. Wait, hold up. Let's back up real quick before we go to Nephrenity. That says enslavers. So you mean to tell me God ain't happy with the sexually immoral? God ain't happy with murderers? God ain't happy with liars? And God is not happy with enslavers. Let's keep this in context as believers, y'all. So that means that if you are sexually immoral and you doing your thing all, you know, a trillion times a month like you a rabbit, then you get saved. As a saved person, you now are the Holy Spirit is convicting you to resist that as a follower of Christ. So this means that if you are an enslaver and you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you are part of the elect body. You are a human who is following Jesus Christ as Lord. I know I got three more minutes. I'm wrapping up, y'all. But check this out. I just want to make sure we understand this. If you are an enslaver, if you are a person who has done this and you are now part of the body of Christ, this is behavior that you need to refrain from. The Holy Spirit is going to convict you of this. It is another thing that I underline right here. So enslavers, not good. Liars, not good. Perjurers, 
not good, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Because if it is truth to slave owners using scripture, that was not sound doctrine. Hebrew Israelism, that is not sound doctrine. Jehovah's Witnesses, that is not sound doctrine. God is not pleased with it. Okay. Verse 11 says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory and blessed, which I have been entrusted. Okay, y'all. I'm sorry I ain't got no time for questions, but I'll just close and say this. The slavery language in the New Testament is just one of the one of the bigger picture. Christ's goal is not to oppress and destroy, but to give life. Paul does not abolish slavery in his letters, but he makes it irrelevant in the ultimate goal of being reborn. All of the structures that separated Jew, Greek, slave free are declared irrelevant. This is defiant and bold. This is not a passive re resignation. And slavery in America's past is not endorsed by scripture. It was means to helping the poor. It, it always maintained the dignity of the slave as a person made in the image of God. It was temporary and applied only to a specific people during a specific period in history. I pray that this helped you. I pray that this blessed you. I pray that this gave you something to think about, something to study further. If you disagree with something that I said, I pray that it makes you, you know, read it. And I'm open to, you know, uh, you know, hit me up, you know, at Vader Real MC on Instagram, hit me up on my YouTube channel. But again, is slavery in the Bible endorsing the slavery that happened in America? Absolutely not. Is he a real one? Yes, he is. And the he that we're talking about is Jesus, y'all. A-A-A, man. Thanks, Vocat. Yes, indeed, man. Awesome. Excellent. I'm going to end right there. Everybody go over and check out Nefernity on Facebook Live. All right. That was dope, man. Here we go. Cyber City. <laughs>